Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Podcast Strikes Back. My name is George and you're listening to our weekly podcast with the boys Connor. Hello. And Benny. Hi there. You sound so enthusiastic, Benny. It's episode <laughs> 150 <laughs> of the weekly show. It's been about three years we since it. we kicked this off. Um, I actually had no preconceived ideas yeah cheers to that preconceived ideas that we would get past 10 episodes and even though we are not necessarily the most uh trending podcast out there i think that uh, i really what? do uh treasure uh you know these moments that we have together and uh the, we know everyone's commenting we, we've got some really nice comments this week from some new fans checking out some old content and you know it's just nice to see in our little tiny corner of the world that you know there's a couple people there tuning in yeah. so whenever uh, i see like a genuinely nice comment my first my first thought is like is this a bot people aren't actually that nice are they <laughs> no, it, it, always like, I, I, it always is and this but, image but just like, take just it kind of like, just take it you know mm. oh yeah <laughs> I, take like, the win. I have that moment that i'm like oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah all right <laughs> thanks so uh yeah. fellas it's been an absolute pleasure hopefully cheers to another 150 more and uh, let's let's on episode Cheers. 200, you know, maybe do a a real solid like retrospect and maybe even listen back to the first episode. I think that would be oh, God. pretty <laughs> hilarious, man. Uh, anyway, let's catch up on what's going to be happening in this episode, episode 150 of our weekly podcast. We've got some updates on the Oscars, uh, sound mixing, sound editing. Oh my goodness. The scandals. Everyone's, everyone's raging. It's, it's, it's crazy. We've also got some updates for Matrix 4 with some returning uh, individuals, which is interesting for us to talk about. We've got question of the week later. And at the end of the episode, we've got the first edition of Movie Book Club. Oh, I'm excited to talk about that. And uh, Connor has cho chosen this week's episode, which is Prisoners, uh, my first watch of that. So uh, stick around to the end of the episode for that. I'm very much looking forward to it. But before we get into all the rest of the movie nonsense, Benny, let's catch up on what everyone's been watching. What have you been doing, dude? Um, I've been all, all over the map this week. Um, but the, the first thing I started uh, pretty shortly after our last episode, actually, um, as it just hit Netflix, um, was one I know you watched a little of Connor as well, uh, at least, which is uh, the new comedy shows uh, from uh, Ben Schwartz and Thomas Middleditch, Middleditch uh, just titled Middleditch and Schwartz. Um, now, this mm. is the kind of show that on paper is something I would generally steer well away from because it's basically just an hour live show, completely improvised, um, just based on a few little um, questions they ask some audience members um and coming from almost anyone like the else kind of concept oh. i was just gonna yeah, say, it sounds like kind of the concept of like something that you'd have to go on a thursday night like someone would drag you to it like hey we're going to a live mm -hmm. show that's all improv you're like oh tickets guess, are free okay. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um but coming from these two guys i couldn't get into it quick enough because um i think they're two of the most uh naturally funny people uh, on the planet um Ben Schwartz, probably the, the more well-known of the two from um, Parks and Rec and more recently Sonic the Hedgehog, um, maybe less successfully. But um, uh, yeah, and I got to say, I absolutely adored all three episodes, all three hours of this show. Um, I was almost in tears uh, several times just from laughter. 
uh, and I I don't get that too often. So I was very happy with them. Did you did you finish them off, Connor? Um, I got two episodes. Um, mm. and there's something like I think the way that I enjoy this is the same way that I enjoy bloopers. Like there's something mm. that is just undescribably funny about watching people you know, break and laugh and like mm. genuinely laugh. Um, well, they make it so hard on themselves. They construct these scenarios oh. with like up to a dozen different characters that they each jump in and switch out roles on and they have to remember all these names and like where the positions and are, where everyone like, is. Switch, yeah, switch roles that each other have done. Like, you know, yeah. one person yeah. might start a character and the other person might have to pick up that character later. And yeah. honestly, the most entertaining thing about it is is watching them try and keep track of these characters trying to keep mm. track of like the names and the accents and like mm. just those like, little breaks is fucking hilarious <laughs> uh yeah i enjoyed this immensely um i i don't know who i'd recommend it to necessarily though except people who already like middle ditch and sword just because uh that's that was definitely the main hook for me yeah so um obviously like middle ditch is, is quite famous from um silicon valley mm. um and, and Godzilla, King you know, of the Monsters. Schwartz, <laughs> and, yeah, and Godzilla, sorry. Um, so they're both kind of like relatively well-known in their own right. I'd actually, you know, argue that Middle Ditch is, is quite well-known because of, of Silicon Valley. But, I mean, th mm, this is mm. nothing like... This is a little bit more what you come to expect from Sh Ben Schwartz, a little less from Middle Ditch based on their previous stuff. But mm. they fall into it so well. And because they're such good mates, it it makes for one of those really entertaining um shows to watch because it's like the whole thing is about you know being genuine right like it's mm. the laughter is genuine the the panic is genuine the the mm. friendship is genuine all of that it's just it's really fantastic um, and their friendship is just so palpable um it makes it just a, a joy to watch uh, end to end um on a very different end of the spectrum i watched finally uh, something i've been meaning to get to charlie kaufman's uh, anomalisa um, I don't know if you guys are even aware of this one. It's a stop motion film from a few years back um, from Charlie Kaufman, um, director of Synecdoche, New York, one of the greatest films ever made, um, writer of uh, Being John Malkovich um, adaptation. It's just an absolute genius, probably the most kind of meta and heady screenwriter um, working in Hollywood. Um, I find his stuff to always just be among the most amazing stuff you're ever going to see. Um, and this movie, uh, it definitely did not disappoint it was another pretty hard-hitting um dive into his psyche um with some of the most impressive stop-motion animation i've seen uh not in terms of like fluidity like your like a films you know paranormal and whatnot but um the the expressiveness and the the believability of the characters who look almost like just real humans was um absolutely yeah. insane i'm looking at some stills from it and it looks, looks pretty it impressive to be honest anomalisa and an Anomaly, so like anomaly and Lisa combined. Cool. Um, the it was not an easy watch. The lead character is is extremely unlikable. I found, um, but to a point, like it's very much what the movie's going for. I think, um, but yeah, really cool if you're looking for something a bit headier. Um, that one. Um, then uh, another complete left turn. I watched. Uh, childhood favorite of mine the other night uh, the mask starring jim carrey um oh. I, I love this movie in my bones uh i i it's probably not a critical favorite i don't know if, if anyone could watch this movie today and say there's anything good about it necessarily for them but um i love every second of it 
Um, so it's so much fun to, to watch it's that again. Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey. And no. I'm kind of pretty much down with that. Yeah. And, I mean, the it, graphics my have held up pretty well, huh? Yeah, this was like 94, I think. <laughs> yeah. This was ILM, one of ILM's first jobs after doing Jurassic Park. And they were doing groundbreaking work, bringing like these crazy Looney Tunes characters to life um, in live action. I think it's, it's really impressive stuff. And yeah. the practical stuff, the makeup, the look of him. He looks so much like the the original uh, Doug Mankey comic book character. It's insane. Um, it's really impressive. Um, I think at the time, at that time, for a, for a comic book adaptation to be so faithful in certain ways, tone mostly, um, but also to be kind of adult in ways, um, while also being really goofy and for, for, for kids as well. It's it's something you don't see much anymore. Um, I, I really love that film. Yeah, good times, man. I love the cartoon as well. I love the film. I love the mm. cartoon. I loved everything about The Mask when I was a kid. It's a funny era when like every Jim Carrey franchise would get a, a cartoon yeah, accompanying the it. There was The Mask. There was yeah. Ace Ventura, Dumb and Dumber, I think. I, had one. I was on that. I um, was on that. They're all so different, the way they portrayed Jim Carrey. Um, and then I... Also, watch just a bit of. Obviously, we've talked about this ad nauseum on the show. I don't need to go on, but um, I just watched like half of um, Civil War, uh, Captain America, which just that movie just blows me away every time I watch like a minute of it. I can't believe how impressive that movie is, especially because just before watching that, I'd been watching a bit of um, the Tim Story Fantastic Four movie from two thousand and five, um, and it's like, man, how far these things have come uh, Crazy, in that huh? time. Um, even though that Fantastic Four movie, I got to say, yeah, it has its strengths. It kind of plays into the silliness of the material. Um, has a bit of fun with it. It's overall not a good film, but there's some stuff they do right. But it did it, make you it's think, probably I, the I'm, best Fantastic Four movie. I mean, not that that's saying much, <laughs> yeah. but you know, uh, well, with what we have to play with. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely a toss-up between that and the Silver Surfer. Yeah, but for sure. we can all agree it's definitely not the most recent one, <laughs> Ben Forstick. Um, Still haven't seen it. But uh, watch yeah, the first half. Watch the first half, <laughs> and then when it's yeah, three years later, literally turn a, your TV a, off. Literally just turn <laughs> it off and go. I have seen the best of this, and walk away. Georgie, there's a good recommendation for, for our film book club. You could say just the first half of Fantastic yeah, Four yeah, yeah. 2016 and see what Connor thinks of the and movie. And that's at that all point. we review. We don't even address the back half. Like, I'll rewatch yeah. it. I'll, I won't, I won't I'll, even talk about it. <laughs> I'll watch the first half if you two watch the second half. Oh. Exclusively. Got, not oh, not cool. just like the first half and the second half. Just I've got a way better pick anyway, onwards. so fuck you. Um, but watching those two movies in, in close conjunction really made me interested to see what um, what the MCU is going to do with the Fantastic Four, probably in the not-too-distant future, I feel. Because um, I think there's a lot of potential there to have a really unique set of characters within this framework they've created. Um, That's one of the toughest ones to get right, in my opinion. It is so of its time. It's got that yeah, sort of like futurist 1950s. Yeah, yeah. Mm. If they can make it work, like I will tip my hat to them. But, you know, that's not an easy one to repackage for the modern era. Just just from my just sort of just, like, just thinking about it. Yeah, like yeah, Stretchy I mean, Man. Couldn't... Stretchy Man from like a concept level, just that that really weirds me out on how like how that's not going to look wonky on screen, like from a oh, visual level. I mean, yeah. if, if you look at like... Things like um, and Aquaman, the thing as well, they've never nailed him. Level, 
seem like yeah but if you think of something like aquaman who like seems a bit silly but you you know like recontextualize they, they manage to pull it off and yeah i don't know how they do that with something like fucking whatever his name is stretchy I think, dude I, I think benny's right like the 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 futurist 1950s space age you know that that's definitely the vibe but <clears throat> tough tough i will be so interested to see how that turns out because i would have no idea how to approach not saying i have any ability to approach these things but um <laughs> you know just uh, you know within these conversations that we have uh that one seems like a tough one to get right. if you can't do it george no one can that's it dude thank you <laughs> um, I'm there glad are completely you said unfounded it. rumors flying around sort of recently that joss whedon might be taking a crack at it might be coming back back to marvel for something and i think mm. he could have some fun with it but uh we'll see how that goes I mean, Wrong. that kind of like dialogue style might suit that property. Mm. Um, and the, uh, the, the, the last thing I watched, which I was kind of banking on you guys having seen too, because it's like the big Netflix release of the week, but uh, uh, no, just me, unfortunately, was um, Extraction, the new Chris Hemsworth film. Mm. Um, <clears throat> And I, I was only assuming you guys might see it just because there's just nothing else kind of getting released right now. Um, but yeah, uh, no, this, yeah. This is kind of an interesting one. It. It's definitely something I will watch, but. Oh, well, I, I actually, uh, this, this I bet money just been... before you came into the call earlier that you would have seen this already because it seems uh, like uh, such a Connor uh, film. Mon money, I think it was your left hand, dude. So uh, <laughs> I'll be taking that. God damn it. Um, God but damn uh, it. yeah, so this is directed by um, Sam Hargrave, first time director. He's um, mostly known for being a stunt coordinator and a stuntman, um, largely in the MCU. So he was a stunt coordinator for Civil War and Infinity War and Endgame. So this guy's got some bona fides. Um, he's really fantastic in that regard. And in that regard, this movie does not disappoint. The, um, the stunts and the action sequences are like top-level stuff. Like, cool. Um, there's, there's, a, there's like a... Uh, very, they feel very reminiscent to me of... Uh, more Eastern films. Like uh, I was reminded of the raid a lot in its kind of aesthetic and the, the impact of the, the fighting and the violence. Um, and it is violent. It's, it's such a, it feels like an algorithm wrote this film for Netflix because it is exactly their niche for their, like their own movies. Like it's, you know, starring like a big, big Hollywood star that they've grabbed for like the name and the, the weight that he, he can throw. They got, uh, Joe Rus Russo in there as well as he, he wrote it, which is interesting. Um, it's way too violent to be a, like a, a wide release theatrical thing. Um, they throw in uh, David Harbour in there, <laughs> like a big Netflix star. It's really memeable as well. There is an extended sequence that I'm surprised I haven't seen more of on social media already where Chris Hemsworth is just running around slapping the shit out of a group of children <laughs> who are trying to kill him. Um, it is kind of awesome you have sold that to me <laughs> on that scene. i'm gonna watch it just yeah. for that now please, please do please do and and not just for that i honestly think it's it's not that bad um i know that's very faint praise but um <laughs> it's like it's very kind of standard plot wise i actually was really struggling to follow the plot because it's kind of like a oh, like it's, it's basically it's set in india a, a kid a guy's kid gets kidnapped and they bring in this mercenary chris hemsworth to come to come get him and there's a few twists and turns along the way um and i was not trying too it hard to follow like but i wasn't really following the this sounds like the perfect perfect netflix 
movie, right? Like yeah. it, it's it's yeah. not something that you'd go to the cinema for. It's not something that you'd like. You, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. You're like, you know what? I want to I want to buzz out and, and watch action for for two minutes. It's the exact same re- or two minutes, two hours. It's the exact same reason you watch things like The Raid or Dread or those kind of like high octane type films. Um, you know, often ultra violent. But I think what's interesting about this one is I, I'm pretty sure they've either murmurs of a, a, a number two of this or mm. even a greenlit uh, confirmation. I can't remember off the top of my head, but we have talked at length about how Hemsworth has struggled to find his footing in any other role yeah. other than Thor and maybe Extraction this is like a John Wick. You know, John Wick 4 is coming out. You know, can he clock in a trilogy here? Uh, I will not be surprised um, because it seems pretty favorable on the whole from everyone. I, I don't see it having the same legs as John. John Wick was a bit of, of a no, phenomenon. No, like, I, mean, I, I don't, I, I don't think it'll get to that level. Keanu but, Reeves. This but is I mean, his, and, and that movie yeah. shouldn't have been good. And you know, and it this, was. Like, this will was always most... be his B card. Uh, uh, you know, like Thor is always Hemsworth's <laughs> A card. But you know, his extraction. You know, he's got that extra thing, extra bedding to kind of land on to ha- have his career sort of prosper for the next decade. Because you know, he had that whale film. He had this, that, and the <laughs> other, and, and it's just nothing's really taken. Nobody's really taken the bait. Uh, so it's cool to see because I've always liked Hemsworth and it's cool to see that the, the positive reaction seems to be heading around. Uh, yeah, completely agree. Um, I, it's, it's cool to see him find a movie like this. It's really stripped back of the kind of Hollywood uh, veneer that, uh, that all these things have. Like, for instance, he just speaks with his natural accent, which he does not get to do in any of these movies. You know, you get all these producers involved in stuff and it seems like everything, all these four-quarter movies have got to be bank, as bankable as they possibly can and you can't have an Australian star speaking Australian for some reason. But um, I, I do have to deduct points from it because his character's name is Tyler Rake um, and he actually kills a guy Ooh. with a rake at some point and does not make a, a Schwarzenegger-esque uh, comment on the okay. fact that that's his name. So okay. that was a bit of a bummer. Um, I thought you were going to say that say... you're taking away points for him being called Rake and also killing some of the Rake. I'm like, that's adding points, if nothing else. Yeah, no, but absolutely. I see but they, 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 yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, amazing <laughs> from an action level, but that's most of the most all that it has going for it. But worth a watch. Nice. And that's me. <laughs> nice cool. one, Connor. Um. So as Ben mentioned, I watched a good chunk of Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Um, but in addition to that, I've watched, um, me and my fiance, we're looking for a new series to get onto and we decided to check out billions, which has been out for Christ ages, but, um, has never been something that we've really gotten into. Um, and I think it's on its like fifth season now, which that kind of shit daunts me. Um, like it just feels like it's going to be, it feels like it was going to be suits, right? which is like really cool concept, good for the first season or two, you know, three, and then they would have just run out of ideas and like they're just dragging this fucking thing along. So I was a bit, you know, hesitant to get started into it. But we did. Um, and I, I got to say, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. It's, um, it, it's obviously very well made. 
Um, you know, the characters are, are interesting and they don't rely too heavily on a gimmick, you know, like Suits did. Um, although you do get some pretty significant Suits vibes. Um, but yeah, like the, the, the characters seem complex. They're not just, you know, throwing around legal jargon or just throwing around trading jargon in order to confuse the audience and, and, and just say like, hey, we just magicked up a, a solution. Um, you know, there's genuine throt, uh, throt, <laughs> plot threads that you can follow that, that, you know, kind of hold your interest. And so, yeah, I, I was, I've been pleasantly surprised by this series. Um, I didn't think it was going to be nearly as good as this. Um, How many episodes a season? Uh, I think 10, roughly. That's good. That's kind of like the new normal for these <laughs> these drama shows. I think that's good. I don't yeah. know much about Billions. I I feel like it might be a little similar to um, HBO's Succession, which I was watching yeah, last year, um, I think. I haven't which, had a chance to jump onto Succession. Really I, you know, it's, it's, it's showtime, so it's like HBO's little brother. Um, <clears throat> you know, it... it, it doesn't quite have that same HBO sheen to it. Um, mm. But, you know, I really like um, Giamatti. I think that he's really, really like, he's probably one of the stars of that show for me. Um, mm. But uh, I think everyone, you know, to be honest, everyone in that, in that production pulls their weight really well. Um, and, and it's one of those, it's, it's one of those, um, series that I, I find it infinitely interesting how you can have like two protagonists that are, are opposed to each other. Um, like the concept is mm. that it's a, a U.S. Um, district attorney versus this like hedge fund guy. And um, you, 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 they take it in turns to explore, um, I guess, the, the, the perspective of each person. And you don't necessarily feel swayed one way or the other uh, or the other at least not by the show the show kind of presents it like these are two people and you can kind of like figure out whose side you're on nice yeah um watch that and i also watched um a good chunk of uh midnight gospel um which cool. is the duncan trussell netflix series um that was also produced or directed by the guy that did adventure time can't remember his name. Now, I, uh, Pendleton Ward. Now, I didn't bring this up on the last episode because how hard is this show to describe as a concept? <laughs> Dude, I yeah, chopped on I mean, two minutes of this and I was like, I am not ready. I have to be in a certain headspace <laughs> for this show because it's out there. It, yeah. Look, certain they, headspace. And I know I'll exactly enjoy it. I just had to, like, I need to chill out on this for a next minute. Yeah. Mm. I know exactly how it was pitched. Like, it would have been Duncan Trussell being like, I have these really interesting conversations with people. Um, I'd love to do like podcast 3.0 where we have that like kind of almost long form conversation and, and add a visual element to it. And like Duncan Trussell is a pretty trippy dude anyways. So um, this kind of seems right up his alley. But I got to say, as a, as, a, as a way to, to convey concepts that are pretty outside the mainstream, I fucking love it. You know, they talk about some really interesting concepts that, you know, they mostly revolve around um, Buddhism and meditation and mindfulness and, um, you know, drug use, all that kind of stuff. And, and drug mushrooms, use and all that. Copious um, and amounts that. of mushrooms. But it mm -hmm. does it in this like really 
bizarrely responsible way. Like he's talking to people that actually have knowledge. Like the whole concept of the show is that he, 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 the, well, I mean, the show is about, like, he goes to other dimensions, different dimensions and he has yeah. conversations with people on his podcast, but it is actually like the conversation is like a podcast, right? So you're basically listening to this podcast with this kind of free, almost like free form animation, like psychedelic shit happening in the background. And you, you kind of like, you're propelled by the visuals, but you're listening to what they're saying. And it's, you know, in terms of getting some of these a little bit more um, trippy concepts out there, I think it's, I think it's really brilliant. Yeah, and like five percent of the conversation they're having is like clearly like scripted to yeah. to move the the visual story along, but the rest is yeah, just essentially a podcast. Well, and but it it, it changes as well because I'm not sure how far you how far you're in Ben, but I think about episode four or five, the the dynamic shifts. So some episodes mm. feel like they're like twenty percent scripted, eighty percent freeform conversation. Um, other ones seem as though they are like eighty percent scripted and twenty percent freeform conversation. Um, and it's not like freeform as in like, um, you know, ad lib or anything like that. It's like it's just it's just people having a conversation. So it's mm. I, I I couldn't tell you any other kind of show like it out there. And yeah, you know, I got to give it props for that. Yeah, I'm keen to see how it develops because Adventure Time is one of the the slowest of slow burns in terms of actually becoming about kind of the, the characters and the continuity and, and the world and the story. So I'd be, I'd be interested to see if that kind of <clears throat> creeps into this as well. Yeah, yeah. Nice cool. one, man. George? That's it for me. <clears throat> I, uh, I checked out The Last Dance, which is this new Netflix doco on the Chicago Bulls. Um, mm. And I am nowhere near a basketball fan whatsoever, but I, you know I was a huge Michael Jordan fan as every kid was. Um, and uh, you know, well, let's not talk about the sports aspect of this. Um, let's just talk more about um, you know. F- I'm so impressed with Netflix's ability to put together a really cohesive documentary. Um, while still it darts around through timelines, it goes back to the 80s, comes back to the 90s, and it's always flip-flopping, t- telling you all these different characters and um, these personalities that you meet along the way. And it's um, it's just super impressive and super engaging. You know, I, I, I said to my wife, my, like, I, I, my wife and I are totally in this, and you guys know Ash, like, she's not... You know, she's not into basketball, but we're fully captivated by the show because of the personalities, because of the dynamic, because of these characters that they build. What's and the, I think, yeah. I was saying that that's the, there's some serious lag going on here. Um, the, that's the, 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 I, I, almost the hallmark of a good documentary, right? Like I could give you facts, but I mean, that would like it practically be a PowerPoint presentation, right? Um, and only the people that are the most interested in that particular subject or have any interest in, in the information that I'm giving you. But if I give it to you in a story, I can tell you about anything. It doesn't matter if it's like the most boring shit on the planet. Like I could talk to you about chess or Go or like, I don't know, software or something like that. But Go if is interesting like, as hell. You shut your face. It's not interesting. It's frustrating as fuck, and it can go to hell. Um, <laughs> single most difficult game I've ever played. I like. I cannot. Mm. I cannot get it. Um, <laughs> that was, that was a, <laughs> a tangent I did not expect. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, dude. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it's about the story. So I mean, like, it doesn't matter whether you're interested in basketball. It's all about like, are they putting to? Are they putting forward? 
a a good story. And that that documentary is more Game of Thrones, House of Cards than it is, you know, about the Chicago Bulls. Hundred percent. And and you know, I've really fallen in love with Dennis Rodman, who I've always known, but I've never really sort of known that he was like in the Chicago Bulls. Like he's always just been one of these like really crazy personalities that was, you know, he dated Madonna and he's friends with, yeah, you know, Kim Jong-un and whatnot. Um, you Turns know, up on any number of 90s sitcoms you watched as a kid. But, you know, you, you see him evolve in this show and you see him as a kid and him transform. And it's a really, really interesting insight into him and and the three main the three main contributors to the success of the the team anyway listen i'm not i'm not going to harp on about this too much i'm also uh, but but this is really fantastic and i'm also very interested uh in, in netflix's release strategy here unlike tiger king they're drip feeding this out two episodes at a time every mm. monday and i am just like chomping at the bit i'm like give it to me motherfucker that's very what? unusual for them yeah and you know what it's it's very interesting and it's keeping the conversation going like we were talking about with mandalorian it's sort of elongating this piece like tiger king has had a really short spike you know but you know mm. if we're going to use some terminology that's been thrown around recently they're flattening the curve of engagement and uh, mm. they're going to spread it out over f- several episodes and several that's weeks very interesting right because like the that the docuseries will will not make the same kind of like depth of impact as tiger king uh, made so i'm very interested to see whether they had like if you had two documentaries right and you you could have this strategy where the first one you release it all at once this big impact you're going for maximum depth you want as many subscribers to come onto your platform as possible everyone's talking about it gets it on there so you have that and then that's the acquisition phase and then you've got that retention phase where you want to keep people interested. So then you provide them with a more elongated, you know, piece exactly. of content. I wonder if that's like, I wonder if that's why they're doing it. If, they, if, they, if that is why they're doing it, it's pretty fucking genius. I don't know if they would have ever and anticipated the success of Tiger King at that level. You know, they've put out a lot of how, documentaries. How could they? There was a lot of, a lot of special factors to that. <laughs> I, I think there was that, yeah. So I don't necessarily know, but I think them doing the two strategies in parallel with each other ties in with your point, Connor. And I think, you know, it's really interesting to see that. And uh, Netflix, you know, they've got a thing on coronavirus on there. You know, not that I'm going to watch or touch that shit, but these guys pivot fast. Oh, they're they're, they've got that startup vibe. I still really love Netflix and I'm falling more in love with them over the past six to six to 12 months. Um, really so yeah. Ben. Um, you know, Yo. over the last, I'd say year or, or year and a half at least, um, you, you've kind of the, the vibe I've gotten from you with regards to Netflix has been pretty like, uh, pretty uh bad let's say um, mm-hmm. you kind of you know say like on netflix with some like level of disdain and and there's definitely times where you talked about even just getting rid of it um mm. where do you sit with netflix now it's not too different to be honest <clears throat> i think it's like in terms of right now having access to amazon prime stan netflix um i think it's probably my least watched um, what are you watching on stan and, I, I'm so unimpressed with Stan. Like, I, I think their life is awesome. It's all old uh, stuff, though. You know, like yeah, I can no, watch but, it but, any but I'm, time. I'm, I'm happy to. 
yeah, on Stan. <laughs> that's what that's what I'm looking looking for. Like the uh, fact that I go on Stan and they have 300 episodes of Adventure Time, I'm like, okay, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. I, but I, I think all three have like fantastic licenses. Mm. But I'm not really, I don't know. I'm not looking for original content from any of these three providers necessarily. Specifically, I'm more interested in kind of pre-existing stuff or ongoing stuff. Um, and yeah, I. I, I think Netflix is getting better, in my opinion, at their their original content in terms of the movies. Mostly, the movies is is all I was really critical of. Um, yeah, but yeah, about the same. I'm so impressed, man. We just chucked on this thing. It was like the the like the fittest of um, Dubai. It's like this fitness competition in Dubai, and it's like this one hour. It's like Amazing Race or something, and it was just like these crazy athletes from around the world. Um, mm. just going at it for these challenges. And it was like, this is cool. Like I, I'm enjoying just like kind of zoning out and watching something a little bit. I don't really watch that kind of stuff. You know, the last <laughs> time real, I don't I did have well. channel nine and stuff. I can't watch it. I like, I don't have a TV aerial in my TV. So like these kind of things, I don't really watch them that much, but it, it's cool to see that kind of thing on yeah. Netflix. <laughs> I was watching, um, I was doing the same thing. It was the, there's the CrossFit documentary on Netflix. And I remember like watching it. And you're sitting on the couch being a lazy fat shit, and you're like, "This works." This yeah, works. yeah. You suffer See, that's through what this, I use, motherfucker. That's what I use YouTube for. Um, I watch more YouTube than those other three yeah, easily, because um, that's just because because YouTube the, the fucking quality of the content that people oh. are just putting up on there is insanity, us included, of course. Of course. Um, have either of you guys buckled at all yet and watched any of Too Hot to Handle? I looked at it. I was very tempted. I think today, because we basically Is that like we had the Love Island the... show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we watched the trailer. I was very close, dude. With yeah, the man of yeah. time, I'm proud of the, you, boys. The guy, like, we we watched the trailer, and the guy is like, it's the sloppiest, tongiest kiss you've ever seen. And I was like, <laughs> Slurpy derpy. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Please do not turn that on. Um, I have always <laughs> been really. Like I've I've had so little interest in like maths and like you know the competition cooking shows and all that mm. shit. Like it's just it has you know and people talk about like the reality TV that it's just like oh it's it's like this guilty pleasure and all that. I'm like I I actively despise most yeah, of that. I just too. think it's it's like it's so manufactured and 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 just like not in a good way. Um, mm. And so I, I generally steer clear of that. I don't know what it is about this that interested me um i think that they just become so un like they're just like we want to see if people will fuck like there's no yeah, like, it's, a, it's the transparency no anymore. yeah yeah they're not trying it's to like, say like, like this is actually it almost about feels like a satirical a, um yeah. reality show like it feels like a reality show you'd see in a movie about a dystopia <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. i i did i did have that thought i've watched any but i was like maybe there is an angle to this that there maybe there is actually some kind of worth to this show it probably isn't but um i bet their viewing numbers are insane for it oh they it would be <laughs> it's like they're taking like the Kill last me. the second last vestige of free to air tv and and just saying fuck you we can do this too i mean mm. i i reckon the next big thing is that they're gonna get some kind of deal for sports like yeah you're probably right dude. man they must be looking into that hard. i mean it's the last thing that i mean and and i know we harp on about this a lot but like that's all Fox Cell has right now is, yeah. is sports, basically. And they don't even have that now. 
Like they are fucked. Don't they have yeah. KO Sports? Isn't that a, a, a sub subsidiary? KO's of, different. Is it not? Ooh, I thought that sure, was I created. I, I thought it was created by Optus or or, or something, or Telstra Opt or somebody. Optus, not Foxtel. Oh, oh, okay. I think it's. I think it's. Yeah, no, it's Optus. I think I had it when I had Optus or fuck. Who or knows, Telstra. bro? She gets complicated. But it's it's. I mean, like it's, you know, Foxtel just they're so overpriced for what they're offering and i reckon you know they maybe have a year or two left on the australian market before they just they're sure. fucking toast thank god i really hope you're right i really do but i think i probably said that a couple of years ago too i don't know how they're hanging on because yeah i, I go away <laughs> sports yeah baby boomers yeah i never i never factored oh, no, that right. in that's it's such a blind spot for me Ao is foxtel it is foxtel I, yeah um, see they've pivoted yes yeah, it see, is foxtel they're, they're going to be all right, mate. They're going to be all right. <laughs> I had KO for like a, a month week. and then fucked it off. Yeah. It's, it's again, it's over. Do it's over Premier League on that? For what it is. Uh, I don't know. I I had it for the rugby union when the World Cup was on. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for those on the podcast, uh, <laughs> <laughs> ben is slowly just inching his way off screen. Ben's just like, this is There's way too much about sports. Even though Ben and I have gone on a run, uh, not not recently, but during quarantine, and he is quite oh, a he's... fit man. Correct. Uh, well, actually, I, I beat your ass. So. Uh, Maybe but I was I impressed. Run, I'm I, was beat, I'm, I'm, I was impressed. I'm running on the beach you, now. Sorry, you right? beat that's, Ben. That's hardcore. Yeah, I beat his ass. I don't know about that. Yeah, I, yeah. I will he, have ben to would sprint ahead and then he'd wait there for five minutes, puff the fuck out, and I I didn't stop once. I just I just went I've... round at my pace and I fucking... All right, next time I'm not taking pity on you, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, go. Please don't. <laughs> I've, I've run with Ben and Ben has like Ben has like a weird athletic ability. Like it's yes. you know, I've climbed with him and I've run with him, and yes. it's like it's a frustrating is what it listen, is. Listen, Ben didn't do anything for like 18 years and then all of that compounded yes. and it was just like <laughs> burst through. It burst like, through like... <laughs> yeah. And I was there I was there to see it all and it was wondrous. Um, there, there's a tangent for you about when we're going to get rock climbing again. <laughs> Episode 150, oh, come man. on, we've got to bring it back. Uh, it's not going to happen into... for a while. Little bit of news, um, not too much, but we've got some updates on the Oscars. Benny, do you want to take it away? Yeah, so we've all been kind of, I mean, the go-to joke in the movie world right now is that the, the Best Picture nominations next year are going to be, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog and Bloodshot because nothing's been released in theatres so far. And that's such <laughs> a big sticking point for the Academy is it has to be theatrical. All these Netflix films, they have to do a mandatory theatrical run just so they can be eligible. I wonder um, they've if, just come they'll, out. Uh, if they'll uh, lax that for, for this. If, if, the, if, the, if the, um, the alternative is Bloodshot, the, the Academy Award <laughs> goes to Vin Diesel and in Bloodshot. I reckon they'll change their tune pretty quick. What a win. Uh, yes, so they have come out today and said that, um, and they're still being very strict about it, but theatrical... Um, releases obviously aren't happening so um vod and streaming uh films will be eligible uh for the oscars um they have the very specific proviso that they had to have had a planned theatrical release that got cancelled or delayed um so they're still being very sticky about it they they also said specifically for this year only so it's not too much of a of a jump forward for them but um what do you guys think about this 
Um, you know, I think it's it's obviously a crack in the um, in the wall. Um, you know, it's if I'm to be honest, they're, they're going like they must know that that's where they're going. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there, there's a bunch of like Netflix movies that that w- they tried to get into uh, contention last year um, that they had theatrical releases, and I mean, it's just it's ticking a box. And I reckon a couple years of, of um, content creators uh, ticking boxes, people are just going to see it for what it is. It's like, it's, it's just the, the whole theatrical release is a bit of a joke at that point. Now, I'm mm. not saying that I don't like theatrical releases. Uh, and, you know, in a perfect world, you'd be able to like, extraction would be showing on, on, on the theater now as well as streaming. Um, you know, because I think that there's, I, I do think that there's the value of the experience of going to a cinema, and I think that cinemas need to really sell that. Um, but in terms of you know them sticking to the the specific provisos, I, I don't think it's it's going to stick for too long. Hey, Connor, why do you hate cinema so much? <laughs> is that, is that what I said? In, no, fact, I, 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 in fact, I think it's the exact opposite of what I said. I think. I know. There's a huge paradigm shift coming through. I mean, we've seen this week uh, that AMC theaters aren't going to be playing Universal films anymore. Um, And I believe another cinema chain has jumped on that bandwagon. This is because Trolls was released digitally. So we're seeing like a new world, old world shift here. And the Oscars saying, hey, you know, this is only coming in for this year. Oh, I take with a grain of salt. This could be a forever thing. Um, I won't be surprised if that's the case. Um, we don't know how long coronavirus is going to be around for. It could be here for the next eighteen months. So, like, you know, how this is this is you know what's going to happen when cinemas open? You're going to have to have one or two seats in between. You're not going to be able to have sold out sessions. You know, how will people line up? You know, there's a lot of things to figure out here, and. Th- it's going to get to the point where I think these movie studios go, shit, we got to move fast on something because we need to get some revenue in the door. And there's all these movies sitting around. I mean, another thing as well is they're saying Tenet's moving ahead and, and going to be released. Um, yeah. you know, do, do you guys think that's going to happen? I mean, I know this is sort of morphed into a more of a general state of cinema kind of segment rather than focusing you on saying the that Oscars. But... It's going to like get... The theatrical release. They're saying yeah, they're sticking with release. it. Mm. Uh, it's, it what feels like a Chris Nolan mandate, doesn't it? It's like this has to be in cinemas. <laughs> Ju- July seventeenth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, it, it will definitely sure, go ahead in America. <laughs> they're re- they're kind of reopening things uh, as we speak, which is um. It's I mean, like we don't need to get into the conversation about that. Yeah. It, yeah. But. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of the the last stalwart that's like, yeah, we're, we're doing the cinema. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, it would crush Nolan to be released on streaming, but, you know, would you guys rather July 17th hear, oh, Tenet's coming out on streaming, or would you rather hear we're postponing this uh, for a cinema? So I think in this specific it situation, worldwide? it's very much it would not open in Australia. I don't think we'd be opening cinemas yet. I think it'd open in America and maybe some other territories around the world. But I mean, for the thought experiment, if it was opening here, I would rather it be in cinemas. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to a cinema and sit six seats away from someone. 
Oh, I, mean, I, I work with I the cinema. Like, so. <laughs> if, the, if the question is like, would, would you rather have it delayed or get it now on streaming? I'd rather have Tenet delayed um, because that's one of the few films that I think there's actual merit in seeing mm. it in that. Exp- like, there's yeah. some films that I, I like the option, right? Dunkirk. Um, Got Nolan's uh, last one. That's not that great at home. Is Tenet <laughs> the same, you yep. know? Yeah. I can name you, like, I mean, not, not every film I've seen in the last 10 years, but I can name you a fair few that, you know, I'd be disappointed if I hadn't seen them in the, in the cinema. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have a sneaky suspicion that Nolan films, not only because that he shoots on film, I mean, that I've never really been one to say that, that film and, and digital are, are, you know, light years apart or anything. I could give two fucks. But um, in terms of, like, the sound, the scale, the way it's meant, like the visually, like that presence, I just feel like it feels more, uh, mm. more like a, an event. Yeah, I know exactly like what you mean. And, and you know what, what? What? What could potentially happen here is that Universal, you know, I, I believe two major chains have said we're done with you, and said we're not taking on your films. You know, Universal just goes. Um, they're bringing out a, a streaming platform. I'm pretty sure. They just go shit, man we have to go and really transform this company completely in terms of the distribution side of things. You know, the production side of things stays the same. I think that's... But the distribution side of things is like... That's hilarious. Like, the theaters going to Universal and being like, we're, we're boycotting you. That is like... From what position of power are you making this kind of... Like what leverage do it's you like think you have? It's like the gentleman's handshake within, to... within the movie industry is like, you know, there's kind of like this wink, wink, you know, you're not going to release your shit on streaming. Mm. And, and, and that sort of, that handshake has been, you know, from there, the, obviously AMC's perspective has been undone, but I know exactly what you mean, man. These are unprecedented circumstances. Yeah. But I just petty. think it's like, it's one of the, yeah, it feels petty and it also just feels like a bad decision. Like, you are in an industry that is under siege by like general circumstances at the moment. What is it like? Why would you make things harder for yourself? Can cinemas survive without films like Tom Cruise's The Mummy? Will they be able to get or by? Trolls. I mean, no. <laughs> the, the simple fact of it is, no. If they play that, that with the market, they can't. Jurassic World's coming out. That's probably going to crack a billy. You know, Trevorrow's no, on the won't. case. Trevorrow's on the case. It's 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 okay. No, but I mean, it's just, but, it, but like, I mean, that's a huge hit to their, like, I mean, if, if they're playing that kind of game and let, let's say it's universal, well, what's next? Are they going to say no to Paramount as well? Or like, you know, whoever it is, that's, it's such a dangerous game for cinemas to be playing right now. They need to be I like, mean, this is all part of know, the, the, the thing, the inevitability have. whereby the only things that are ever going to be in cinemas for the rest of our lives are Disney movies. <laughs> and also you know the inevitability that you know we had a lot of casualties in the last decade we had uh or connor's gone we had blockbuster you know who would have thought blockbuster would have gone under if you told somebody in 1994 um you know but you know shit changes man and there's going to be a fair few casualties along the way premium enterprise brands you know we're going to see them shut up shop and uh you know the famous story is what is it netflix pitched to blockbuster and it was like a handful of millions for the acquisition and they 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 laughed them out of the door 
Mm. Yeah, I love that story. There's something yeah, about go. like it's so satisfying. That kind of stuff. It's the same thing with like Sony, Sony and Marvel. Um, then like laughing them out of the room, and be like, "All right." Yeah, you know the only constant is change, and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see how what how many casualties in terms of the movie and these cinemas and whatnot. Um, there's another little piece of Oscars <clears throat> news here, right, Benny? <laughs> Yeah, speaking of uh, casualties, um, the Oscars also announced that they're going to be combining the um, uh, kind of a running joke on our podcast. They're combining the categories for sound mixing and sound editing into one. We did one, it, guys. One award. We did it. We rallied for this for years. It's got three <laughs> years. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the response to this has been varied. Um, a lot of people kind of being like, wait, what's the difference between those two? But then the people, of course, in the know, um, are very disappointed that uh, that the, the the sound side of things is being kind of diminished a little bit in recognition. I, I you know what I truly I was thinking about this, and I truly believe like you know like when you listen to a great album, you know you're not thinking about what amp they used. You're not thinking, oh, what snare what snare symbol did he use? Did he use a Zildjian or did he use another brand? You know, you're just thinking about the feeling and the vibe. You know, and mm. in this category here, you know, when thinking about best cinematography, we're talking about sort of feeling and vibe and whatnot and, and best sound mixing, you know, sound editing. I get that. Like, were the swooshes and, and the sound of the vehicles and, and, and the overtones, like, did you get an atmosphere within the, the sonic palette of it? But then mixing, mixing is a very technical task and it's almost like a presentation thing. It's like yeah tick that box like it's it's a technical task it's not a creative task so like i've always struggled to sort of ha understand that that and 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 differentiate them because they're almost one in the same at the end of the day when you're sitting there in the film it's like you know if the edit if the sound edit worked the mix was responsible for that as well so it, mm. it's sort of hard for me to sort of make sense of it all and i i, I believe this is a good decision my yeah. main issue I mean, with the, kind the of like difference between dividing them. each aspect. Or... Sorry, my main issue with the difference between <laughs> them is it has never been that they don't deserve separate recognition for each, because I don't understand the difference, but I know a lot of people would in the industry. But my main issue has always just been that I would assume 90% of the voters in the academy don't know or care what the difference is. So it's kind of pointless in the end. They would just, for both categories, they would just pick, oh yeah, that one had sound that was good. Yeah. And I mean, like, it it kind of begs the question, like how how deep down should we, um, you know, slice the categories into? Like, there's lots of visual aspects that um, comprise to to create that side of it. You know, I I think sound mixing and editing, they the disciplines are are pretty blended. You know, there obviously are people that do sound editing, and there are other people that do sound mixing and, and creation and all that kind of stuff. But I mean. Yeah, the general appreciation, I think, comes down to one kind of task. Like, how does the movie sound? Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. So uh, I think it's a good decision. Forgive my ignorance. Have they announced what the award will be called? Sound. Um, from now? Just sound? Sound. Best sound. There you go. Right. That's easy. Yeah. <laughs> us, us laymen, well, not you, George, but, but we can certainly um, <laughs> pick an easy one for that. Yeah, let's see how we go. Let's see how we um, go, folks. Yeah, and you mentioned up top, Georgie, that um, we've got some returning faces to the Matrix franchise, um, and they're, of course, Chad Stahelski and David Leach. Um, 
two men who have risen far from their stations when that franchise was still a thing. Um, they're, of course, the directors of the first John Wick film, and they've both kind of split off and done their own thing since then. Um, amazing, amazing stunt workers. Um, probably a huge part of why the, the Matrix itself is so iconic at this point. So it's good to see them back. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think it's always a very interesting and oftentimes a commendable move for these guys to take a step back. You know, you, you could look at this as like a step back in their career. As, as guys who are directing Deadpool and John Wick, you know, you know some of the biggest franchises on the block, um, you know, to go back to the stunt coordinator role, you know, this is obviously they must have had a real feeling of importance to get back in here and and you know they must they they did cut their teeth on this and 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 do some really incredible stuff here so mm. there must have been a real impetus to feel like okay I, I i like i don't want anyone else to be involved in this this is my ground and this is that franchise that means a lot to me and i'm moving back in here yeah well i mean it it says something great about the the environment that they must have fostered making this film because uh, even uh, I was just reading today Joe Pantoliano um, who played Cypher in the original was pretty much begging to be involved in this somehow um, <laughs> I hope he is because he's fucking awesome yeah, um, how, how are you guys feeling on Matrix 4 we haven't talked about it in a while there's been a few set photos kind of dripping out here and there um, a few plot details maybe it's going to look amazing it's a weird one like it's going to it's <laughs> going to have some really really dope shit in there just as a whole piece, yeah. how is it all going to tie together? That's that's where I'm not. Uh, my confidence is quite low, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, wow. I mean, there's the proviso that you know any concept can be good. Like there's, you know, um, if you've got a good story or if you've got good writers, directors, and all that kind of thing, you can pretty much make a good movie out of anything. Having said that, there are things that are more difficult to to pull off. And I think this would be one of the things that is very difficult to pull off just because you have the weight of expectations you have, you know, um, you know, it's a sequel. So you're working with the, within the confines of a certain IP. Like there's just a lot of factors in this that like, they really need to bring in their A game on this for this to be passable. Right. And they need to do a fucking outstanding job. Like if you think about, movies where the sequels were better than the originals or you know the the remakes that happened you know 20 years later 30 years later whatever it was were better than the originals like those movies there are some of the best work that the the people have done that the directors have done and all that so it's i mean yeah i i'm not saying yeah, it can't I, happen but i am saying that this is a mon monumentous task yeah because i mean that question is like hard to answer in terms of things that are better when you return to a franchise make a sequel or, or a reboot but you know when you're talking about the matrix of all things like that's that's a tough one um yeah good luck to them very intrigued to see how that turns out all right well that's about all the news we've got this week but uh before we move into movie book club let's catch up with a question of the week we love hearing from you folks at home so definitely hit us up with a question for next week this is from our boy drew torres uh, speaking of E.T., have you seen the ending of E.T. with the score replaced with just normal sounds? It's so awkward. Do you think a great score can devalue a film in the movie 
uh, if the movie is much worse without it. What movies filmmakers rely too much on the score to hold up their films? So I, I, I definitely think uh, this ties in nicely with our sound mixing, sound editing uh discussion earlier and 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 what the first thing that popped into my mind was well there's two things first of which we had a great conversation about this on episode one of the creators with dane hallett so so go check that out and and i remember seeing this clip and it was of the brady bunch and it was two rounds of the clip it was sort of a 15 second 20 second sequence and one was done with the original piece and the other one was done in a horror um way and uh, they were both equally as effective and it made me realize outfire at it 50 50 yeah yeah 50 but not even not even just the, the the shot selection and stuff it was exactly the same visually it was literally just the sound bed that got replaced yeah. and 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 i was like it's 50 50 visuals and 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 sound in 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 films so i mean do i think that there are examples i think of movies that use music as a crutch. Um, and in those kinds of cases, you know, a movie's putting in a cool song or using really dramatic, um, you know, uh, you know, really dramatic music to prop up a less than impressive scene. Um, having said that, I think in those cases, you can always tell that that's like, you get this feeling that that's what's happening, right? Because it's very the melodramatic and, the, and yeah, the music and the visuals don't gel together. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with like overly dramatic or like, like dramatic or melodramatic music. So long as the scene is appropriate for the music. So when you're talking about, and, and because of that, I don't think it's fair to take away music from a scene that is designed to accompany that kind of music and say, look how shit this, this scene is because the whole point, like the whole medium is about everything coming together. Mm. There's a bunch of films that you could go to that don't have the same impact. Like if you went and looked at, at um, Baby Driver, which is something that I watched recently again, that movie loses a lot of its impact if you take away the score from it. And, and I don't think that's fair because that movie is meant to be watched with that score. So imagine watching the scene that scored with or has the, the soundtrack of Hocus Pocus by Focus, you know, that yodeling song to which the action is completely synced up to. Yeah. It would it be almost sense. meaningless without that. Yeah. Okay. And Connie, so you I just touched on this. I think in terms of the question about when it's too much of a crutch, I think mm -hmm. that's only really the case when people are using. Uh, songs rather than score. If the score is is doing its job and it's making you feel it, then that's. I don't think that's a crutch necessarily. I think that's filmmaking. I think that's what it's meant to do. Mm. Um, for an example, I found the use of um, was it Father and Son uh, in uh, um, Guardians Volume Two, um, the the funeral scene at the end of that, using one of the most emotional songs ever created that makes every <laughs> grown man cry in a scene that's meant to make you cry, that felt like a crutch, especially coming from a franchise so well known for using slightly more deep cuts in terms of soundtrack. Um, to play something that obvious in that scene was effective, but there was also that niggling feeling of, yeah, all right, you could have done a bit, you could have worked a bit harder for this. Um, and in terms of for ET itself, I watched that a couple of weeks ago, of course, 
And I will, I will openly admit that 90% of the reason I was crying like a baby in that final scene was because of John Williams unbelievable score for that film. Mm. Um, but it, but it's all, it's all working, you know, tandem with each other. Um, I, I, I think it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's interesting to think of if it's, because uh, all filmmaking is manipulation. It's yeah. all techniques to try and make you feel things. So I think it's all fair game, essentially. Um, like, can you imagine what Inception would be like without Hans Zimmer? Yeah, I was what thinking, would that movie be? And that's my point. Like, it's, yeah. it's it, you can't. It, the whole point is that as long as everything feels as though it fits together, like you know, mm. as long as the visuals uh, at least gel with the music, uh, which gel with the sound design, which does you know all that kind of stuff, you know, then then I have absolutely no problem. And I think that if you took like i think the the i was thinking about this the other day because i was listening to music that i'd seen in a trailer and then and, and you know it's it's one of those instances where you're like fuck this is good like you get this rush from the music and the, you find the song on its own and the song on itself doesn't give you the same kind of rush mm. and it's it's one of those things where like the whole is more than the individual or the sum of the parts right mm. um and you know if you were just to arbitrarily take one of those parts out and then say, hey, look how shit this is. Like, that's not really fair. Yeah. So, um, you know, Hello, I love cinema I, sins. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like it's like taking a comedian, a comedian's jokes that that he's performed on stage and writing them out, and then like asking, you know, just reading it on a page. Like, that's not a fair representation of mm. what's being done, right? Like, mm. like you could just say, like, oh, this isn't funny, but you're missing all the inflection, the pauses, the way they deliver it. So. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I just... To answer the I first think, part of the question, I have not seen the video of the ET final scene without the score. I'm definitely going to go look it up right after this because I think it would be so starkly different from, from the final Oh, product. it is. It is. Um, I think in terms which, of... And it makes sense. You know, the, mm. the filmmakers that rely too much on it, I think you're right, Benny. It's all fair game, but, you know, it's, it's a really stock standard answer and we've already mentioned it, but Chris Nolan... I remember some parts in Interstellar, especially part where Matt Damon with the swirly spaceship. And so I remember being like, on, on not maybe on my first viewing, but on a, on a secondary or, or, or whatever viewing after, kind of being like, uh, this is really overcooked, man. You know, mm. you, you really shouldn't a little too far. Um, but, you know, Nolan normally gets it so perfectly right with Hans Zimmer. Um, mm. You know, that's the only instance where, you know, he, it, Hans Zimmer is so part of, of the palette. He, he really sticks out, you know, a lot un, unlike a lot of other composers. Um, but I don't think that's an, a reliance on Nolan. Uh, I just think in that particular sequence, I just rem I remember specifically being like, it's a little overbearing, man. An example I found of this that really stood out to me, one of the only times where it jumped out this hard would have been um, Tron Legacy. Um, specifically, one of the best, most dramatic tracks in the entire film. Um, and I don't think I'd listened to the soundtrack before the movie, but I just remember like hearing this amazing, um, really like emotional experience happening and seeing what's happening in the scene is they're just like going down in the elevator. Like it's falling too fast or something. It's meant to be dramatic, but you don't give a shit about anything happening in the movie. And it's just like so intense and the disconnect uh, just makes everything, like it's worse than if the, the soundtrack wasn't that good somehow. Mm. Yeah. 
Anyway, Greg, tre- Greg, Greg, far out. I just, that <laughs> well just done, didn't mate. happen. That well just done. didn't happen. <laughs> Great question, Drew. Thank you so Cut. much with that one. Folks listening in, we need a question for next week. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, something I've been very excited about, Movie Book Club Episode 1, brought to you by Connor this week. Connor, right. you decided to choose Prisoners, why don't you give us a little bit it. of uh, context <laughs> about why you chose this and uh, the thought process there? Um, honestly, mostly because I know that you hadn't seen it <laughs> and uh, I was tired of uh, me and Ben talking about it and, and like I wanted <laughs> – like it's one of those things where – So like, it was out of I sheer need, exhaustion I, is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. No, it's just – it's like the, – because there was a concept like that when Ben proposed the concept, it was like you have to watch it. So my mind went to like, if I wanted to make Ben and or George watch something, what am I going to use that choices for? Um, my initial thought was to use it for evil. But um, no, I, I decided like in this particular case, like I, I know that you hadn't seen it. I wanted, I wanted to get your opinion on it. Um, I know that me and Ben, um, uh, how we feel about it. Um, and, I, and honestly, I hadn't watched it since like it came out. Like I haven't watched it in, in probably about six or seven years. So um you know i was really interested to revisit it and i knew that my fiance hadn't seen it either so it was it was a good it was kind of a win-win for me yeah nice one uh listen what what did you know about it before we jumped in sorry what did you know about the film like what you know what was your reference point well i actually i've ushered on this when i used when we all worked at the cinema together and i remember ushering on this and i few i saw a few scenes and i I had these sort of lingering thoughts in the back of my head we should probably mention here everyone at home this is going to be spoiler heavy so you know the idea with this movie book club is we're all watching this together so um feel free to to you know follow along for next week's one but um uh my my thoughts was um you know villeneuve Going into this one, it's 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 an outrage that I haven't watched this already, and also like, uh, oh, I'm so glad I haven't watched this because, you know, Connor's shitting on about it. Benny's told me how great it is. Like, uh, you know, I'm keen. I'm really keen. A couple other, a couple things happen with this. My wife Ash, who we normally watch most things, she said things together. She said, "I'm not watching this. It's too intense." So I was like, "Okay, interesting. That's something to highlight." <laughs> and another thing Did as well is, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. and really enjoyed it. Really thought it was great, but was just the subject matter and everything was really a little too intense and whatnot. Um, and and I watched it with my headphones that? that I'm wearing right now. Um, with my laptop and these are audio engineering like mixing headphones and like the set i'm just gonna say like i was at the end of this film i I went to speak to ash and she said i've never heard you be so vocal in a film i was like (laughs) holy fuck get outside get outside like i was in (laughs) this movie end to end um so i think that's a good place to start um what was it like for you guys uh, revisiting this one um, on, on a second viewing or maybe third I viewing? Yes, had forgotten all the best parts of this film. And I don't mean the best parts in terms of um, uh, uh, like the scenes or anything like that. Just like things about this movie that I, I really appreciate in terms of the craftsmanship. Um, yeah. I mean, I should also mention that one of the reasons that I wanted to do this is I'm having like... I'm absolutely in love with Villeneuve. Um, and 
it's funny. I'm, I've, I've, one of the movies that I really want to clock soon is um, uh, one of his older films, uh, Incendiaries. Um, but yeah, so like that was another reason that I wanted to jump onto this. But I just forgot how good of a filmmaker he is and just little like techniques in this that I just really appreciated. Like, for example, um, uh, there's a lot of scenes where you see an outline of someone and then there's like a reflection. Like a lot of this movie, you're like watching through obscured views. So like there's a, you know, um, a reflection on a pane of glass and then you just see someone there and it's just like they're holding onto that image for a really long time. And you, like, I just, I don't know what it is about that, but I absolutely love it. And even in a less literal sense, there are so many scenes where there will be some kind of incident or some kind of expected catharsis and, and the movie will just cut out that part and expect you mm. to follow on and assume yeah. uh, about this whole big thing that has happened in between scenes, um, which is fantastic. I, this is my first uh, Denis Villeneuve film that I'd ever seen. I saw this in cinemas all those years ago and had not watched it since. Um, and I remember being like so impressed with it. It was one of those movies that I'd go around telling people like, go watch this while you can being that annoying git who people just don't want to deal with because they have actual lives. I'm like, watch this movie. So, um, but it was so interesting to be able to sit down and watch it again, especially after watching so many other, um, of his films. I actually did watch Insandi's, um, his, his one film prior to this one, the night before I watched this again, um, which How was, was it, it's, it's tough for me, man. I, I don't like, sitting down and watching French films. <laughs> but I don't know what it is. It's some internal bias. French films, I just don't like listening to it. Um, but yeah, it's like a, it's, it's a long one and it took me like 50 minutes to, to, to get into it. But man, it is, it is very much a, a villain of film, very intense um, in some very interesting places it goes. Yeah. Um, but, but this one definitely um, did something more for me, even, <laughs> even having seen it before. Um, what really struck me um, revisiting it was the um, the pedigree of the cast. For this guy's first, oh. for his English mm. debut, there is like a dozen like A or B list actors in this film, which is, uh, which is insane. Um, and I was talking to a friend the other night. This is a bit of a, a bit of a sidetrack, but wondering, <laughs> kind of wondering how would my response to this film be if it was entirely um, unrecognizable actors? Because mm. I think there is some kind of pleasure that maybe, you know, cinephiles don't want to admit, but in seeing a bunch of familiar faces, actors you know from other things, um, working together in something like this, kind of like, you know, the Avengers, but but in a really so dramatic it it or film. Something. Yeah, I, I can't no. believe Hugh Jackman is not like this. Is an iconic performance from him, and I'm surprised He's everyone amazing. everyone just shits on about Logan. Amazing, mm. incredible, definitely should be his number one. I think this is his but best performance. This, this no, should be I, his number two. I think this is better than Logan. Yeah, it's the, I guess it's the iconic, you know, pop culture element of Wolverine that yeah. I, I'm thinking why it's number one. But uh, as in know, like popularity wise, yeah, like Logan, like iconic. Logan I mean, iconic. Them. Like that yeah. is the performance to watch. Yeah. Like I feel like this. But one is like a number like two so like get actual in there performance yeah this is like this is by far is dark. i mean just this is like if you just took any actor and their ability to yeah, kind of wrestle with 
the the gray area in their characters, morality, their psyche, and all that kind of stuff. This is class A performance. Like this is so yeah. good. You can tell that there's that in kind of in like you forget that it's Hugh Jack. Hugh Jackman has this kind of image that that you know doesn't strike you as as who this character is at all, and you forget it. Like you don't you don't look at it thinking that's Hugh Jackman. To Apart take that to say, in a very literal shit, sense, I love the way that they style him in this film. It feels like the exact antithesis of Wolverine. You know, his hair is completely down, and he all yeah. he doesn't have is sideburns. He's just got a big goatee. Like, yeah, it's like yeah. he told the stylist, like, make me not Wolverine, Opposite. please. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and Jalen Hall as well. He he's got this interesting character ticks and um is a very kind of like a very I noble character like i was fully on this guy's side He's um, but without him being like a cheesy sort of mark Wahlberg action star there was empathy <laughs> there was just like a good nature to him while still having like these outbursts you know he's he's trying he's got a level of excellence about him and you know he calls out his boss and whatnot and he's and and it was just i thought just the nature of the character was very appealing and the execution was really really well 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 thought out yeah. and and that well done. it's interesting that you say uh, or use the word appealing because i don't think that there's anyone in this film that comes across as appealing to me he's like, the only one he's the only one well, even him like he just he seems like that kind of abrasive very you know um you know yet yes noble but also a bit of a dick like you wouldn't be friends with him um and it, it like I just I love that there's that complexity behind these characters that they don't really go into. Like they don't go into this backstory about how he was in the military and he had something happen to him and that's why he is the way that he is. Villeneuve just puts these characters onto the screen and says, These are real human beings with like, you know, complex personalities and, and moralities and that. Um, and he's not wasting time explaining that, but he's also letting these characters kind of just, you know, play out on film. Right, you know the 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 nervous tick that um, you know Jake Gyllenhaal has with his eyes, and um, and the tattoos, and the and the general mannerisms that kind of speak of a of a full person. Um, it works well. There's, there's virtually no backstory offered for Detective Loki, Jake Gyllenhaal in this film, but it doesn't feel like None. a floor of the script. It feels like this guy doesn't have a backstory. He's a cop. He's a detective. That's all he is. That's all this guy is about. And it feels like it, it, it's yeah. that kind of all-consuming character trait that's all you need for him, and it works so well. Yeah, and, and this this film, it had echoes of Silence of the Lambs to me, it had echoes of Seven. It sort of felt like a new age version of the detective story with added extra complexity in there. Um, mm. The sort of, you know, there was there was elements of the sort of, the the forest with the, with everyone moving through searching for the body reminded me of Silence of the Lambs. You know, it it had that tone and that thing that you expect from this, but just the gray area and the added complexity was was really the extra dimension to this yeah. piece that that separated it. It doesn't feel like you'd be doing this movie justice by calling it a, like a crime thriller, because the crime thriller feels as though it has a very kind of even Silence of the Lambs or something like that, which may like throw in some twists and turns. Like, I mean, I, I, I feel like this one is so, I guess, open in, to urban interpretation or whatever you may call it. Like, it's just so windy that you're kind of like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right to like pin it down by that genre. The what drama I found really aspect. interesting about the plot in this film 
um, being a kind of, you know, on a surface, a, a procedural, a, a crime investigation film. Um, what I, mm. I found it quite unique amongst these films in that every plot development that happened, I found to be both the logical next step, but also completely unpredictable. Because um, I'd forgotten most mm. of the plot beats of this film, watching it again. And I think that's a, a near impossible balance to strike. Like everything that happens is completely out of the blue. And I'd seen the film and I was trying to remember where it was going and I could not pick anything that happened, but nothing felt like a cheap move. It all felt like, yeah, this all works. This all really scans. Um, you know, there was, yeah. there was something that, there I mean, was... like nothing in this. Oh yeah, you go. You go ahead. No, no. Um, you, you know, there, there was this effortless level of storytelling in this film that I just was like, Villeneuve, you're the shit. Like, bow down. Um, <laughs> just, just like a couple things, a couple, two things that happened early on in this film that I was like, I, I really, truly believe I'm going to love this. The first mm. of which was just before the kidnapping takes place, there's this shot and it's just a tracking shot on this tree and it's just gradually coming in. And then that, and then that. How good, right? And you know exactly what's going on. This sense of dread is fulfilling you and this situation is unfolding. But, you know, we didn't see anything explicitly on screen. So it's just mm. great mm. storytelling and, 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 yeah, masterful stuff. There's another thing that also happened in this a piece of dialogue where at the beginning the kid's saying the Hugh Jackman hey, you know, why don't we do up grandpa's old place and um, we can we can rent it out. And he's like, no, nah, it'll be too much. And then later on, Terrence Howard, when they turn up, he's like, oh, you used to live here, didn't you? And it, he didn't go, oh, this is your dad's place. Oh, you know, mm. it, it was just like these little connecting dots along the way. And I find that kind of presented as it comes through and you fill in the gaps, you know, those kind of little things like really satisfied me. And I knew pretty early on, like th this is going to be a great piece. Um, I, I think we would be remiss in not mentoring, mentioning uh, um, one of the stronger elements of the film, of course, which you just touched on uh, Roger Deakins, um, who uh, I read a comment in a review after I watched this recently, the cinematographer who, who they said that he can make um, pulling out of a driveway look like the most artful shot you've ever seen. And I think that holds true quite literally for this film. Um, mm. I, I think there's something about the way he shoots movies that just elevates them to this level that they wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Not to say that everything else in, in this movie isn't, you know, fantastic, but the look of it is just so perfect and spot on. It's and that's almost what, hard to like, describe I mean, there's, why. There's scenes that like, that do so little, but, you know, are heavily, heavily dependent on the cinematography that, that mm. say so much. I mean, like you mentioned the one with the, um, with the tree, there's another one that I was I was mentioning where you're you're seeing I think the detective when he first gets the call I think it's around there where you're like looking through the rain and through the window and you're just seeing the outline of Loki. Um, another one that really stuck with me was the um, you see uh, Hugh Jackson's character sitting in the car. You kind of just see the outline of him, and again, it's just through the window with much of the mm. reflection of the trees, like just obscuring the the actual face. It's like those, those, there's nothing happening in those scenes, right? But they are giving this overall um, sense of, I guess, dread or they're communicating something about that character, giving the audience a moment to kind of think about what's going on. It's, it's really good. Now, I want to check, and I'm going to bet that I'm right that you guys are on the same page about this. And again, having seen this movie before, 
but towards the end of the movie when Jake Gyllenhaal is driving to the emergency room and he's really struggling to get there. Oh. Were you guys on the edge of your fucking seat? Just like, fucking go, man. <laughs> that was yeah. that was like insane. And also him running after the hooded guy. I mm. was on the edge of my seat there as well. Like these are very stock standard, get to the hospital fast. Get yeah. the hooded guy in the neighborhood. We've seen it a million times, but it's in the effortless of the suspense that Villeneuve just... And even if you haven't seen it before, as I have, you probably know he's going to make it. But just the execution is mm. just like, ah. And, and well, however, Deacons represents like... the, the rain on the windows, like that. how that just slowly mm. got more fogged up was... I was in there <laughs> with him, you know. Terrifying, I, I've yeah. got to say, like, everything in that scene works so perfectly, and it just it had me, like... Again, not just from like a, a like an action scene, like you know him drive, like which is a, it's a cool scene of him like swerving around, like. But there's a sense of urgency in the character, and you also have this like immense like kind of catharsis for the character. Like he, you could just tell that he's like he, you know, there's that level of suffering and that level of like, I've doesn't matter what, like it doesn't matter that I'm bleeding from my eyeballs, like I've got to get this girl to the hospital, and it just made me have this like such a, a connection with the character. Like you just, you, you were rooting for that character, like a hundred percent. Like, and it, yeah, I, I just found like the execution of that scene to be spectacular. Yeah. So Do you guys have any kind of general thoughts? Cause I don't even know where I sit on it on the, you know, possibly the main aspect of the film, which is the little torture room that Hugh Jackman sets up for someone who ultimately is discovered to be more or less innocent. Um, how do you feel about that? <laughs> you know what? I thought this movie uh, was heading brilliant. in. I think this movie was heading in a trajectory that I'm not. Un, I think where it ended up is awesome, and and it's like, oh, that guy was. It sort of connected the dots, kind of, of kind of ending, which was cool. But I, mm. I actually. I was like kind of begging for more of like a Zodiac ending where it was very definitive that Hugh Jackman was torturing this kid and he and, and to him to have some association there, you know, I, he was fully innocent, 100%, and we can't, we can't deny that at all. Um, but to have that association the, the, there the lost a little bit of poignancy for me. For Yeah, like um, Paul Dano's so, character. No, I, I think... It, and if I it had just been a random, it's really important. I think that I think would have been so much more interesting because. No, I think it's really important to keep that like. So the whole thing is about that gray area because Paul Dennis, he's not innocent, right? You know, he he did kidnap the kids, and he was complicit in in you know um, the kidnapping of those kids. So it's not technically fair to say that he was a hundred percent innocent because he knew where the kids and were. and he mistreated a dog, so he's evil. Well, yeah, mystery to the dog. He he did goad um, Hugh Jackman's character, so it's not like he didn't have knowledge that the kids had been kidnapped. He specifically goaded his that character. Um, I didn't get he, that impression. He from information. Him. Well, the yeah. only time that he said, you know, they they stopped crying when um, only when I left him. Like he had the information. It's not like he couldn't have told the police. It's not like they could. Like there's a million things that that kid could have done um, that he had the capacity to do the ability to do that he didn't do so but i mean 
look, the, and that's, that's, that's what kind of lost to me. That not not lost me. Sorry, that, that I I just thought that wouldn't it have been so interesting that Hugh Jack like uh, what I thought was going on here was Hugh Jackman was almost like a vehicle for for blind faith and and religion and like he was so in this conviction that he yeah. was correct um and and you know the 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 cost of him like not being correct was was less than him just going down this path like vehemently and then to kind of get this sort of like oh he was kind of involved like that poignancy what was lost quite a lot and it got offset into another interesting area of like these this family that's you know you know doing horrible things to children for decades and decades and this cult that's formed and but you know that's where the sort of i wanted that more zodiac kind of gray area ending and this one was like oh this is a neat little bow with uh with and and, you know obviously we get the ambiguous ending uh, with him is he going to make it out of the pit is he hearing him that's a whole other separate thing i believe but this was like oh here's a nice little bow and and it was awesome it was awesome if you want ambiguity I'll give you some ambiguity because I, I gave this a lot of thought because like there's there's a lot of ways that this film could have gone really like they could have just come out and said that um, uh, uh, Paul Paul Daniels whatever his name is character was completely innocent which they didn't um, they could have said um, that you know him going there directly led to the um, uh, the you know he actually found his daughter and rescued her or something like that which they didn't you're left with this kind of like, what would have the alternative been if he hadn't done what he had done? And the reality is, you know, cause I was paying attention to this cause I was thinking about it a lot. The kids would have died if he hadn't done what he would have done. But it also brings into the question whether he was right in doing it. Like whether the action, like does, did the means justify the actions, even if the actions could have very much been, uh, or it could have resulted in a very different circumstance. I feel like it might be a little time. more complex than that because I think a big part of the film is Jake Gyllenhaal spends a lot of his time um, investigating Hugh Jackman rather than mm-hmm. the actual case because of Hugh Jackman's acting so suspicious. Yeah. Like, but I mean, like, again, that's another factor that comes into it. So I think there's so much ambiguity. When you start thinking about it, it's so difficult to kind of come away with a clear-cut answer about, mm-hmm. you know, I think what he did was wrong, but did it re- result in like there's there's a couple of little clues that they left in there like for example the aunt says that had Paul Dan Daniel what what is his last Dana. name Dana Dana had Paul Dano's character been there she wouldn't have taken the kids out of the the pit um, so by by his absence actually allowed them to escape now it's mm. not that's not not what. Hugh Jackman's intention was, it's not like his, like, you know, he was torturing this kid so that they had a chance to escape, but that is something that happened because of that. So, you know, I think if you, like this, this movie has layers upon layers upon layers. Like the, the more you delve into it, I think that you could, you could study this film Mm. for days, if not weeks. You could say it's labyrinthine (laughs) even. Yeah. There you go. So I, I don't know about this like whole, you know, nice little tight bow at the top of it and, and saying like, this is, this is how things played out. This is who's good, who's bad. This is, you know, what, what people did made certain things happen. I think it's, it's, it, this movie is like gray area and it's, it's something that I think Villeneuve does really well. If you look at stuff like Sicario, you know, Sicario is one of those films as well, which is like, 
are is are they good are they bad like where do they like again do the ends justify the means like it's a huge like yeah um, both of these films and yeah i mean thematically you know that that's an interesting point and thematically what does it say the fact that he the 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 circumstance was the fact that him being there meant this and meant that that means the kids came out of the pit that's what i mean that's what i mean about this bow is like this very sort of elegantly put together you know this guy was the member of the cult the snakes the labyrinth the this like it's all very interconnected and i kind of i where i thought it was going and and, and listen this is no complaint this is like just me like an observation of maybe where i thought it was going versus where it had ended up and i, I just sort of felt like there was this more real, realistic, more of like uh, there's just these threads kind of coming through and they're not really interrelated and we're going to end up at this ambiguous ending where we've got actually this guy trying to do the right thing and find his kids and he's actually, he's actually the, in the end, he's the fucking bad guy. Um, and, and that's, I would have that would have been so be, interesting. So yeah, interesting. I would have almost found that to be like a gotcha moment. Like I, and it's obviously something that's in the back of your head the entire time you're watching. Do you think this, it was more of like, a gotcha moment with it, how it currently is? No, I, no, because it, again, it's so amb ambigu ambiguous. Like you don't come away from it thinking that, you know, Hugh Jackman's character is good. You don't necessarily come away from it thinking he's evil. Like I, I literally like I, I've just been debating with myself. It was still like, all right, well, if he hadn't done this, then I thought he was pretty died, fucking evil. It's just action. <laughs> but again, like, all right, so what wouldn't you do for your kids, right? And, yeah, but you know, but, if, you know, his conviction and, he, and you know and he his was conviction, right. and he was right. So again, like, there's a bunch of like, you know, it, it's I, I, I would never. I don't know that I would he, say that he, he's, he was right-ish. Ish. Well, exactly, he was right-ish. But like, yeah. you know, he, it, it's just kind of that that concept of like, you know, I could make arguments for either, either side and I wouldn't do it too strongly because I don't think that the truth lies in either of those, like, um, pol you know, it's not that polarizing. I don't think he's pure evil. I don't think he's just like, I think he's somewhere in between, but I can't really figure out how or where he belongs. And I think that if you had come away from that being like, gotcha, he's actually evil. He was just torturing some innocent person. Then it would have been such a clear line. No, you still understand why you would still understand why there is some level of like empathy and like, man, this guy's lost his kid. And through the performance of Hugh Jackman, you, you there is a level yeah. of like, shit, man. Make, but it, I kind it certainly of understand. wouldn't have had me thinking about it the same way after. Like, I wouldn't be having this conversation like this right now. Like, I wouldn't be trying to figure You'd out. You'd be like, having a different conversation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. But I, I don't think I'd be this interested because the, the ambiguity of this or like the, not even necessarily the ambiguity, but like the, the question that it puts forward um, is, is, is genuinely interesting. What's the question from your so, perspective? I mean, from my perspective, I don't think that the kids would have survived if he hadn't done what he had done. Like, there's a couple of things that 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 yeah. line up so that through pure circumstance, I think but, the kids. But that's survive. where it almost feels like a saw. But you know, it's like you know, in Saw, how it's like he's actually in the room the whole time and all that. That's where it was almost like a gotcha <laughs> moment for me with the film, and and I didn't think it was going down that path. Yeah. No. I mean, it, I didn't. When I say that like things happen through circumstance, I'm just saying that like there's a million things that could have influenced whether those kids lived or died. And a couple of those things that influenced whether they, the, the fact that they lived was that he happened to take this course of action. And it's not like a, an outlandish course of action. It, I didn't feel like it was like he was in the room the whole, whole time because it's not like this kind of like this mechanism of, of you know, 
it seems more like a mechanism of fate of like of happenstance rather than you know it was planned the entire time um and so i just i think that that's a really interesting like you know does does unrighteous action or does like you know potentially evil action get justified if the means turn out even if that wasn't your intent necessarily like the end wasn't your intent but like the steps that you got to get there weren't really what you intended and i just think that that's a really fascinating that that's like a, a really fascinating thread to pull on whereas if it was just that he was torturing someone that was completely innocent and you know it turned out to be someone else then it's it's pretty clear cut like you're like oh it's it's about the fanaticism and you know fanaticism is bad and you know i can feel empathy for him but ultimately what he did was bad evidenced by the result whereas now i can say well, what i think he, he did was bad but i can't argue with the result it, it's I just extremely thought-provoking and i think for a lot of people that is sort of uh, unsatisfying because it's <laughs> a difficult thing to come away from a movie to be yeah. able. I want the moral of the story. Able, and I want it now. Well, yeah, or, or just yeah, any kind of clear cut answers. So I, I think, and even on a much more simplistic level, just the ambiguous, you know, last shot of a film. I think some people have issue with. Um, do you guys you have a specific, about that? Do you guys have an answer on like, did did Hugh Jackman get dug out of that hole? Or? Yeah, he definitely did. I think he did. I just, I like. What you're gonna get is so clear that he can hear the whistle. Eh? Yeah, yeah. It's like you, um, it, it's sort of a bit of a nothing in a way. Yeah. It was like actually, I was thinking about it, and you know, being, you know, at at night in a heavily wooded area, hearing something like a whistle, I'm trying to think whether I'd take notice of that too much because you hear a lot of those kind of noises in that, like especially in windy areas, like wind through trees and that kind of stuff makes some pretty fucking weird noises. And I was trying to think like, I actually get why he's thinking twice about that. Cause you would hear stuff like a whistle and just think that could be a, a million things. So I, I was actually left quite ambiguous. I think he got dug out. Um, but also do you, do you guys think it's a bit of a cop out to do that kind of like inception, you know, is he or isn't he? I mean, how else do I think it was a fitting ending for the, what they were trying to do. Um, yeah, I, I think it's think sort of like, long. yeah, I, I think yeah. there's like, there was probably five different ways it could have gone. And that was probably the best way. Um, mm. If we see a real big epilogue and he gets dug up and then he's in court, like, oh, no, nah, we know where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, like I, that. Again, I like the ambiguity. I like how you get to like continue it with your own conversation. Uh, yeah. Like, if I he agree. does get out, what, what should happen to him? What does happen to him? Like those kind of things are, I, I find are interesting. Do you like it, Benny? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, as you were just saying, George, the, the more movies drone on, the more you kind of lose interest towards the back end there. So I think to kind of just cut it when there's really no more you necessarily have to say, I think that's great. Um, it sounds like we all agree that this is a, a worthy addition to the, um, to the film book club. Yes. Um, do you guys want to have a quick stab at ranking your villain of films? Oh, you bastard. I'd definitely say 2049's at the top for me. Yeah. I've got to rewatch um I've got to go through a lot. How do you spell his name? Uh D uh, it's Dennis and then V I L L E N. It's not Dennis, there's one N. 
Same shit, man. You spelled <laughs> a version of Dennis, you bastard. All right, um, well, well, I'll hop in with the ones um, I've seen because I can definitely say that Enemy will always be my my fucking goat because that that movie is that did something special for me. Um, yeah. And second place, at right now, I, I'm honestly just going to have to give to 2049 and Prisoners because I, I I just I I could not separate them on that that really high level oh. they're on. Um, other than that, I think. Uh, it would uh, honestly, I just chuck the rest in that I've seen on the same level because I, I these are the these are the ones that really captured me. Um, I, other than that, I haven't been grabbed that hard by his films. I think they're they're really good, but but those those three specifically, wow. Yeah, I think I think for me, twenty forty nine's got to be at the top. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, I would have to put shit. I'd have to put prisoners in second. I'd probably say. It's it's really that good. When I was know, the last I was time you guys of... watched Sicario? Yeah, well, you Cinemas. see, Sicario is one where I think it's so brilliant, mm. but um, I just, I, for my sensibilities and whatnot, I think for what it's trying to do, it does it so well. But for my sensibilities, you know, Arrival is definitely above Sicario. And, uh, yeah, Sicario is above Enemy for me. I, I You know, I, I really love Enemy. I think it's cool, but it's not like, it's still got that sort of like finding his feet kind of vibe to it um but it does have that echoes of you know your your sort of 90s mind bending thrillers so it is it is a great and i need to give it a rewatch it's a good time i sicario chance for me because enemy blew my mind and uh prisoners i thought was amazing so there was like unfortunately there was just no way a film could stand up to that uh version yeah Villeneuve's catalog is one of those ones where my favorite is the one that I've watched most recently, easily. <laughs> yeah, nice. it's, it's just one of those things like, you know, I yeah. rewatched Sicario and I can, I can just, I can close my eyes and I can hear the soundtrack to that film. Um, and th- there is such an awesome kind of exploration and disconcerting atmosphere. Like, ah, fuck man. I just, I love that film. And then, you know, watching well, I remember watching Arrival for the first time and just being utterly fucking blown away. Same. Just I just I absolutely loved the conciseness of that story and just the you know, just the kind of God, the sound design and the and, and the music on that one as well. Um, you know, I just I find it so difficult to to give like top three i'm looking at the i'm looking at the list right now and every time i'm like oh yeah that's my favorite and then I, and i look to the next one and be like oh but that one's so good like how do i honestly i've, I've not come across a, a villain of film that i didn't like but i didn't love other nice. than his french ones what a way to end it <laughs> Benny Connor, that was a lot of fun, and and I hope you folks who uh, tuned in with Prisoners had fun listening to us ramble on about it. Hit us up in the comments if you have any thoughts about what we've had to say about Prisoners or any of your own thoughts that you'd love to convey. The Movie Book Club is an open forum for all. Benny, episode two coming up next week. Tell us what your pick is for everyone to watch. And maybe so, why as well. Absolutely. Everyone out there, this week we shall be watching a 2018 Korean film uh, directed by Lee Chang-dong called Burning. 
Um, now, just as a, a little hook to get people in, this film stars Stephen Ewan, um, one of the main guys on The Walking Dead, um, fantastic actor. Uh, this is a movie that I would implore you to watch as early in the week as possible because uh, it will sit with you, I think. I think you're going to want to uh, stew on this one for a little while. Um, I watched this late Repeat last the name year. again for me. But Burning. Burning. By- uh, Li Chang Dong, 2018. Okay. Um, it's this it's a movie I watched late man. last year, and uh, I had unbelievably high expectations. And I wouldn't say it blew me away, but it stayed in my mind ever since. And those are the kind of movies that I absolutely adore. And I'm I'm honestly very excited to watch this again this week. Um, I'm no very keen to hear what you think for this other than pretty much every South Korean film I have watched is superb. Mm. Um, so this is very, very exciting from my perspective. Excellent. Good choice, Benny. Well, folks, dial it in on your VHS machines, Movie Book Club, <laughs> episode two next week. Maybe we'll have some news. Who knows? Uh, it's going to be fun regardless. Same. Don't forget to check out Creators Episode 1 with our boy Dane Hallett. Very fun episode. And uh, Benny and Connor, lovely to see you dudes. Stay well. As always. You, know, don't you eat too, too, George. Many. Stay safe. Don't eat too much <laughs> chocolate and uh, red wine. <clears throat> see you Never. next week. Catch you, gents. Bye. Goodbye.